Amen. Well, y'all sound good. We thank the Lord for the worship ministry here at Lindsay Lane. And uh, I would encourage you that if you sit towards the front, you can sing like you are in your truck alone and listening to the radio and nobody can hear you. And you can sing like you want to when you sit up front close to the speakers. Amen, everybody that's up. That's why all of them are sitting right here. They can just turn loose and worship. But uh, grateful for that time together in worship. God is worthy of our praise. He truly is. I uh, am thankful for you being here today. And uh, happy Valentine's Day, by the way. Or happy Super Bowl, whichever one you prefer. Uh, but by all those are upon us today. We're grateful. If you take your Bibles and turn to the book of Joel. In the Minor Prophets, as we continue a sermon series called Return, and I'll just tell you on the front, today's message is very simple, it's very serious, because you read in the Minor Prophets, it's a lot of the same. There is judgment, there is an opportunity for repentance, and then an open door to return. And so we see this again here from the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 1, verse 2 and because we're preaching an entire book in one Sunday, we're basically highlighting the, the key verses that bring the thoughts out of judgment and repentance and return together. So in Joel chapter 1, verse 2, the Bible says, Hear this, you leaders of the people. And may that remind us, I'm not the only leader in here, but I'm certainly one of them. As we looked at Hosea last week, as we look at Joel this week, that God speaks to the leadership of his people. And how we are accountable for, for how we lead and what we are leading our people to. And he says, Joel chapter 1 verse 2. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all who live in the land. In all your history, has anything like this happened before? There were better days in Israel. Much better days. Because God had kept his promises and the people were following his principles. The nation was free they were uniting, they were multiplying, they were becoming great. If you remember Genesis 12, and God made this covenant with them. And not only that, but God had planted them in the land of Canaan, the promised land where God was leading them. A promise of greatness, a promise of God's glory, a promise of His blessing and protection. All of that had happened in better days. But now is judgment that's coming upon the people of God. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 through 6, God says to his people, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully keep all the commands that I'm giving you today, then the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. This is God through Moses talking to his people, Israel, the people that God chose and called to himself to announce the blessing of the Messiah that would be Jesus to the world. Now, God goes on to say through Moses, your towns and your fields, your children and your crops, your fruit baskets and your breadboards, wherever you go and whatever you do will be blessed. If you will obey me and carefully keep my commands, then all that I just said will happen. And so they experienced part of those better days. You see, know this coming in here today. If you wonder what God is like, if some of you are here and seeking and you're searching and you're hoping and you're thinking, and if you're wondering what God is like, let me just tell you what God has done throughout history. For God's great glory and fame, he joined himself to an unfaithful people group called Israel. And it was 
from that and through that people group Israel that God wanted to join himself to all people through the Messiah who is Jesus Christ our Lord. And God joined himself to this unfaithful people because even though we are unfaithful and he is faithful, it's always God's desire to bless. From cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation, if you wonder today what God thinks about you, if you wonder today what God feels about you, it has always been God's desire to bless. He is ready, willing, and waiting to purposefully provide for us or to position us for His glory. That is blessing, and God wants to do that. He doesn't stand between Himself and our blessing. We do. We stand between what God is trying to do in our life. So no, if you are wondering about God, it is not God's desire to dig his keys into the side of your pretty little souped-up four-wheel drive and to carve his name into your leather seats. It is God's love that's going to love you forever and ever, forever and ever. Amen. We're just coming off of a marriage conference that was country music theme, so... You can tell where my head is. 63 couples. 63 couples that went to work on their marriage this weekend. Amen. Amen. And that is 63 couples across our three different campuses that all took that time. And not everybody could get away this weekend. We understand that. But what I want to tell you is thank you for your giving. As Brother Bradley was talking about how our giving is an act of worship that leads to ministry. Part of that goes to opportunities like this to pour into our families because if God doesn't get a hold of our families, there is no thought of outreach. There is no thought of evangelism. And so I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the investment that, that uh, the speakers made in our life and the opportunity that we had to go and for your giving that supports things like that. But this is God's desire. God's desire is to bless. But halfway through Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 15, after we had just read verses 1 through 6 that God says, you stay with me and I'll bless you. When we get to verse 15, the Bible says, But if you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and do not obey all the commands and the decrees that I am giving you, all these curses will come and overwhelm you. Your towns, now listen to this because we're about to read in Joel. God says, Your towns and your fields, your fruit baskets and your breadboards, Children and crops, offspring of your herds and flocks, whatever you do, wherever you go, it will be cursed. Y'all listen, you may think that's tough to take. This is the people of God who represent his glory. He is a holy God who is not going to mix words when it comes to those who represent him in the world. So what he says is, if you will stay with me, you'll be blessed. If you go away from me, you will see cursing and consequence on the creation that you live in relative to the choices that you have made. The Lord God is holy, and out of his holiness is concern for right and wrong. That is his righteousness. God is just in his actions because a lot of times what we want God to do is just tell us about that blessing part and look over the other part. But he can't do that because God is holy and he's righteous. So he is right to do as he says he will do because he told his people the truth in advance. He told them, if you will do this, be blessed. If you don't, you will see cursing in your life. Obedience is blessed. Disobedience is cursed. And God encouraged them and he warned them. Listen, God doesn't choose consequence and conviction. We choose that for ourselves. 
We choose what we may feel even right now, even as you have sat down and a preacher has started preaching and you may not even know what I'm talking about, but something that's going on inside of you that is conviction in your heart because of something that you've made a choice of, something that you've thought about, something that you've decided for yourself because God is holy. While establishing this Mosaic covenant, the Lord added this in chapter 30, verse 2. Now, this is where it's judgment. Repentance, and then an opportunity to return. He says, if at that time, this is Deuteronomy still, chapter 30, verse 2, he says, if at that time, meaning the future following the judgment, if at that time you and your children return to the Lord. Now, parents, who's going to lead their children to return to the Lord? It's going to be them, going to be you. If you and your children return to the Lord, and if you obey with all your heart and all your soul, all the commands I have given you, then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes. So God says, if you will abide in me, I will bless you. If you get outside of me because I am holy and you represent me, there will be cursing. And even after that, I'll give you an opportunity to come back. That is a good God. That is a righteous and holy God. This is God and his everlasting goodness. Building return room, a room for us to return. So for us to bristle at this, for us to, to assume that we think God, God's expecting too much, man. God's really calling us to too much. He's really got too much going on he thinks we should do. Or maybe we're thinking to ourselves, that he didn't give us enough rope. We need enough rope of grace. Let me tell you something. As you read the Old Testament, what you will understand is God waited and waited and waited and waited. And some of you are thinking he's done the same with you. The same with me. God gave me hours after hours and days after days. Consequence and conviction to get it right. Day after day, long-suffering endurance, God waited on his people before his wrath arrived. And it's got to come because he's holy. He's righteous. See, there was unfaithfulness and idolatry. Y'all, there was unfaithfulness and idolatry when they left Egypt, when they were wandering in the wilderness, when they were choosing their own kings and ignoring God. It was a roller coaster because their hearts were divided. And so they continued to waver and they refused to listen. So just as God is faithful to keep his promises of blessings. You've got to know this today because of who he is. He is also faithful to keep his promises of curses. Now, I'm, I'm speaking in general. What comes as a consequence for sin? God's not up there waving this evil magic wand going, curse you and all these things. God is a just God, and we will reap what we sow. Israel is experiencing judgment. But not yet God's culminating wrath because there is even a future day of wrath that they are headed for when there will be no repentance and return. In chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says, The day of the Lord is near. That day when destruction comes from the Almighty, how terrible that day will be. There will be a day when there is no more opportunity for repentance and there is no more opportunity for return this is my job church this is what i am called to do i'm not called to preach on the sweet all the time it is a responsibility of mine to talk about the salty as well there will be a day when there will be no more sunday mornings 
There will be a day when there will be no more Wednesday nights, when there will be no phone calls that can be made to a decision counselor or a pastor to talk about, to get things right when you can't even pray. There will be a day that we can't even look up and call upon the name of the Lord. And so the feelings that you get are the feelings that we should have as we think about the magnitude of that. And, and Joel, the day of the Lord, this is the theme of Joel, the day of the Lord. And this refers to God's judgment. As I understand it, the day of the Lord is an eschatological or an end times event that will be a blessing for those who are repentant and turn from their sin and turn to God, but it will also be a cursing of seismic destruction and separation for those who would reject God by defining good and evil on their own with the life that they've been given. The day of the Lord is no laughing matter. The day of the Lord is something to be taken very serious. The day of the Lord is that end time event where God shuts it all down for Him to rule. And it's an ultimate day of judgment for pardoning and for sentencing. It's a day of rescue or a day of reckoning. And this is the expanse of God's reign. For the nation of Israel, for us, for every generation, there is a future time when our final salvation or separation is coming in fulfillment at the end of history when Jesus returns. And he will rule a new creation, reconstituting a right order, and then all who are the enemies of God will be put down. That day is coming. You think about all these things that seem mystical and all this stuff you're making up. That's as real as our salvation is as real. That's as real as the Holy Spirit of God working in our life right now. That's as real as that too. All of these things are coming. A day of the Lord, a great judgment. So Christian, because of Jesus, there should be reverence for the day of the Lord, but there shouldn't be any fear. Here's why. Our hope is secured. The work of our rescue instead of our reckoning is finished because God acted on our behalf to restore a relationship to Him. So while there should be a reverent day, a reverent recognition of a day that is coming that is the ultimate judgment, there should be a reassurance that the blood of Jesus covers me if I have turned from sin and turned to God by placing faith in Jesus. Jesus took the righteous anger of God, the wrath of God, meant for every enemy that he's ever had. Jesus took that upon himself so that you and I wouldn't have to take it. So that's why we lift his name up. And that's why we sing and that's why we pray in his name. Because he has experienced the anger of the Father on himself so that we, I can't even imagine what that even looks like or feels like. So that we would not have to take that. But listen, if you have not yet turned from your sin and turned to God, you should definitely fear the day of the Lord because that's a day of judgment. And here's what the Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 36. Everyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who does not obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but remain under God's wrath. Remain under God's angry judgment. That is the sacrifice. That is the provision that's been made for me and for you. And if you decide that you know more than God, you're going to go your own way. The biblical truth of it is that there will be a judgment day, day of the Lord, wrath coming. I am not telling you this to preach you down or to make you feel one way or the other. All I'm simply doing is being a messenger and telling you the truth.
You can be on one side of that judgment or the other. And it has to do with your heart before God. I'll say it again. For those who have not yet turned from their sin and turned to God, there should be a great fear of the day of the Lord. But for those who are in Christ, there is no reason to fear. Listen to me. If you And I know with this many people in here, I, I know as we've gone back and forth, as you are here this morning, some of you are here because you always come. Some of you are here, you don't even know why you were led to this church. Some of you are here and you know exactly why you're here because you need something else. Can I tell you today that because you are still sitting in here on a Sunday morning hearing the Word of God, there's still time. There is still time. Do it today. Don't wait You've just seen four that went from death to life. That's how serious that is. Where there's a recognition of sin and I don't want to be this and you are the answer and I'm turning from me and turning to you and trusting in something that I cannot do for myself. Turn from your sin and turn to God. He is your only hope of eternal life. Make sure of it today. Even if you think to yourself, I think I am, make sure of it today. Not every time that you walk the aisle or stay after is a conversation that you bring the words, I need to be saved. Sometimes it's, I need to make sure that I am. And that's okay. It's okay. It's so okay. We don't have to walk around in here going, if I bring that up, that's going to be real weird for them. No, it's not. This is what we do. This is why we're here, to make sure and to begin to serve and get the word out to others. The day of the Lord is a end times judgment. But listen to this, and this we must listen to as we talk about judgment. In the Scripture, the day of the Lord can also, on occasion, refer to a near historical fulfillment or temporary judgment. So what do you mean? There is also a day of judgment when God says, that's enough, and He brings something down. Like when God shut down the Tower of Babel. Y'all trying to be like us and it ain't going to happen shuts it down. When God flooded and, and drowned the Egyptian leaders, that's enough. Stay after my people. Shut it down. Day of judgment. And what you're reading in Joel chapter 1 is a day and a season when locusts are stripping the land of his own people as a consequence of sin. Talking about when they went outside, they were everywhere, swarming everything into their homes, on the ground, Breeding, making more, all kinds of stuff happening. This judgment that God said would happen. Chapter 1 is an actual historical invasion of locusts that devastated the land. Now surely that's symbolic for something else as God said he would judge them. Nope. This is what happened. Chapter 1 verse 10. The fields are ruined. The land is stripped bare. The grain is destroyed, the grapes have shriveled, and the olive oil is gone. Later in verse 12, all the fruit trees have dried up, and the people's joy has dried up with it. Do y'all remember what God said back in Deuteronomy? What did he say specifically? Your fruit, your bread, your crops, your children, your land. If you will not abide by me, all these things are coming down. And they forgot. And they kept living like their life belonged to themselves. And God kept his promises. Both ways. Blessing and cursing. But this consequence, y'all listen, even as, as bad as it is, locusts covering the ground, ruining their agriculture, 
It, it didn't even leave them enough to make offerings in the temple. They didn't even have enough to go to the priest to make offerings unto God, even if they wanted to, because the locusts had taken over. And even as bad as this is, it is not the day of the Lord. It is not the day of the Lord judgment. This was not imminent judgment. It was immediate judgment, which means because it's not over, this judgment is actually a consequence with grace. It's a consequence with a warning so that this is not the ultimate judgment. You've got time to get it right, even if you are experiencing consequences in your life. That's the grace of God. Don't miss that. Good gracious, don't miss that. As I have studied and learned that this week, that if you are in the middle of God coming down on you with discipline, he is not taking you out because just as a father disciplines his son or daughter, he is disciplining you for the purpose of turning you and going the direction that he is going and going even closer with him so that you will experience future blessing instead of these curses we keep putting on ourselves. And God keeps his promises both ways. So this means it's, it's not over. But this is a consequence that is paired with grace. The warning is about the day of the Lord. But y'all listen. If we thought the locusts were bad, it's also something worse between that and the day of the Lord. Because the warning that is coming for his people that continue to waver and seek out other gods, the consequence that's identified in chapter 2, verse 20, just look there. In chapter 2, verse 20, the scripture says, I will drive away these armies from the north. Now, this is when God says, as he has opened the door for repentance and restoration, if they would turn to him, I will drive away these armies from the north. I will send them into the parts wastelands. These armies are the army of Assyria. If they think the locusts are bad, how about an army coming in and killing a bunch of them, taking everything from them? They don't even get it back. If they think the locusts were bad, this is worse. If you are experiencing consequence and conviction, know that the Lord is exhibiting patience. But you and I are not untouchable. I don't care what your name is in this community. Doesn't matter what reputation you have within your family. It does not matter. We cannot mock the justice of God. We will reap what we sow. We are not untouchable. It's the truth. This was the people of God. If you don't think God would allow consequence in our life, he allowed it in the people he chose to bring the Messiah in through. God is not a respecter of persons or churches. I just replaced the headlight in my truck recently. My wife gave me a little push towards that because I drive around for a little while with one headlight. I mean, we could drive it home with one headlight. It's the wallflowers in the 90s, no? Okay, some of you, all right. So, <laughs> I don't want the music connection today. I, I, but I've been driving around for about a month with just one headlight. And we have some law enforcement officers in here that probably have seen me. I don't know if you've seen me or not, but he, here's what Brittany told me. She said, I don't know who you think you are. <laughs> she said, there you are. Well, you didn't say it that way. I'm sorry, she just gave me that look like, that's not what I said. That's not what she said. This is me preaching. 
she said, you can't, she did say this. She said, you can't drive around acting like nobody's going to pull you over. And she's right. Truth is, I have done that before. And I did get pulled over. And I did get a ticket. And this time, when she said that, I thought to myself, she's right. So I pulled in and got a new light bulb and got it changed. And I'm not getting a ticket. So if I make the choice to not get that light bulb, it is not God's consequence on my life. It is mine. Because I made the decision knowing that if I would just do what I'm supposed to do, I would escape a fine ticket or authority or embarrassment or whatever. But if I just go on like nothing can touch me, and nobody says that, but we just think it'll be all right. If we just go on like that, it is going to happen because we are not untouchable. This time, thank the Lord, I've wisened up. I avoided the discipline and had it replaced. But it's not always been that way. But the thing is, is that it's the discipline that's meant to turn you towards a closer relationship with right. The consequence of confrontation, the consequence of a ticket, the consequence of a fine. These are all these things we're talking about with a missing light bulb. Let's talk about some things that are, that are even more serious about the decisions that we make. Let me ask you to you this way. What outcomes are you working on? I want you to think about in your life right now the things that are seen and the things that are unseen. The things that people know about around you and the things that people don't know about around you because it's behind closed doors and in the dark. What consequences are you working on? Are you working on a fight today with your family? Are you working on a fine? Are you working on jail time? Are you working on a fallout within those that you work around? Are you working on the end of a relationship? Are you working on the loss of your job? Are you working on the division of your family? Are you working on the damage of your reputation? What are you working on? Because no one ever gets to major consequence without minor stops of sin along the way. But just know, if we keep taking steps towards, even minor steps towards sin... God is a just God. And I know that there are times, even in our families, we'll do whatever we think necessary to make sure we get our kids back, our children back. And that's born out of love. God's consequence and conviction along the way, this is His grace unto us instead of taking it all down. Now, again, I told you this is very simple and serious on the front. Y'all, I believe the Bible teaches that there will be an ultimate separation and there is a biblical place called hell. Hell is the ultimate expression of God's active judgment. When we remain in ourself, we remain in our sin, we have decided that our way is right and our way is better. When we have indifference or rejection of God, when we determine that our way is the right way, we will experience a judgment that is an extension of what we've chosen, of what we've decided. C.S. Lewis said, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. And he goes on to say, all that are in hell, choose it. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss heaven. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it will be open. Sin finds us out. Consequences come. 
And thank the Lord for His discipline because it's intended to turn us from our sin. And thank the Lord yet again for another Sunday that helps us to get this right. Last point, last section in Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. That is why the Lord says, turn to me now. See, this is God warning. Even in the midst of, a, of consequence, God is saying, so turn to me now while there is still time. You know, scripture says, seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Give me your hearts, the Bible says. Come with fasting and weeping and mourning. And, and don't tear your clothing in grief, but tear your hearts instead. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is merciful and compassionate. So to get angry and slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love, he is eager to relent and not to punish. Did you hear that part at the end? He is eager to relent and not to punish. He is filled with compassion and merciful. This is the God that is waiting on you that Satan will tell you he'll never take you back. That Satan will make you feel that your sin is way bigger than anybody else's here. Again, I want you to see that unless there's locusts in your yard right now, that, that God is allowing you a little bit of time to get it right. And that's the reason he's sending you a message like this to let you know that he is open arms ready for you to come back because he is eager to relent and eager to bless. What is repeated in the scripture that we just read? Hearts. Give me your hearts. Tear your hearts. This, y'all, is true repentance. A change of direction because of a change of heart. The heart is the center of us. The heart is the part of us that wants, that desires. Let me ask you, today on Valentine's Day, what is it that you want? What is it that you desire? And because it's close to Valentine's Day, it's tomorrow. It's Valentine's Day, y'all don't forget that. Guys trying to help y'all out. Amen. Because it's Valentine's Day, let's talk about that love desire. Let's talk about that want, that love want desire. When Brittany and I met, she was living in Birmingham. That's her hometown. And I was living here in Athens. This is, this is my hometown. So when we met, we were in two separate locations an hour and a half away. And at the time, we, we were both starting to work. We were almost adults, full grown. And, and we began to fall in love, but we were an hour and a half away. Long distance relationship, right? So every Wednesday night, as Brittany and I began to grow closer, and we fell in love with one another, and we know this is heading towards marriage, and we thank the Lord for it. As we are getting closer and closer to that, every Wednesday night in Decatur, I would speak to the students at Southside Baptist Church, because that's where I was an interim student pastor just getting started in ministry. And every Wednesday night, she would attend church at Lakeside Baptist Church in Birmingham. And then after those services were over, I would drive towards Birmingham and she would drive towards Athens. And we would meet at Coleman at Cracker Barrel just to see one another for once a week. So we talk about want and the desire. It, real love moves you away from yourself. That's what real love does. That's what real heart, want, desire, love does. And not once did I think as I was driving down to meet Brittany, not once did I think, I got to drive down there to make sure this keeps going. <laughs> and not once did I think to myself, I feel like I ticked her off last week. I got to drive down here to Cracker Barrel and see her again. Got to get her a Coca-Cola cake and hopefully things smooth over. Those are legit, by the way. 
I wanted to see her if it was only an hour and a half or only really an hour to where we were going. I wanted to see her. I wanted to be in her presence. I wanted her to know that I loved her. I wanted to let her know those things. Even if something would have swayed me away from it, I would have still wanted to go. That would have been my heart's desire. Even if something took me away from it, I still would have wanted to go. And that desire that I still have has affected every part of my life because there's no division in my heart towards that. This is why the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, it determines, guard your heart, the Bible says. Guard your heart, for your heart determines the course of your life. Write this down. Whatever our heart is bent towards is what our life will be about. If your life is bent towards you, guess what? Your life is going to be about you. If your heart is bent towards the things of this world, you make yourselves an enemy of God, is what the Bible says, and your heart will at least be divided. And this is exactly what Israel was experiencing. A divided heart. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness, but we're going over here to do our own thing. That's a division. That's a divided heart. So Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Undivided. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. All, 100%, no room for any division. Israel trusted the Lord, but about 50%. And, and Israel acknowledged Him in their ways, but a percentage of the time. So some of us act like God's got Sunday, and He's got Wednesday some of the time. Some of those other days when we don't have things going on, but hey, college kids, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, it belongs to us, don't it? Come on, you know I'm preaching where you live. For some of us, it's not days of the week, it's times of the day. Because then when it's dark outside and there's certain hours we belong to ourselves, God can't have that time. Now we're acting like this belongs to us. And a little bit of division begins to creep in. Hey, there's holidays, right? Holidays, those belong to us. We give God the rest of the time and all this stuff. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Guard your heart, for it determines the course of your life. This is why they lived in between devotion and conviction. This is why they lived in between devotion and conviction. Y'all, can I just tell you, having been a college student, having been a young man who lived in between devotion and conviction, that ain't no way to go. That is no way to live a Christian life. Because at the very least... Satan will deceive you to start wondering about your own salvation. And it's because we have a divided heart that gives him the opportunity to work within that. And, and this is why, because of the inconsistency, this is why the Bible says in Joel, they embrace the ritual or custom that is tearing their clothing in grief. Oh, I blew it again. God, I'm so sorry. And they begin to, I'm not going to tear my shirt open, that'd be weird. And they begin to tear their shirt tear their clothing as a sign of grief and weeping. But that was a ritual. That was a custom that represented external repentance. But what was meant for genuine repentance, that tearing of the clothing, it became religion. Here's what our equivalent is today. Our equivalent to that is we got to get back to church. I got to start reading my Bible, man. That's what I got to do. I got to start reading my Bible. I got to start taking these amount of days to pray. And I got to, I got to, uh, you know what? I need to go on a mission trip this time. If I go on a mission trip, something's going to click. 
I won't do enough good deeds to make up for bad deeds. And I'm not going to say it out loud because it scares me because I know good deeds don't lead to salvation. I'm going to do that because it's going to make me feel better. And it feels like you're tearing at your clothes. You're doing the things that you should do so that you can get back. And when we do those things, we find ourselves in this cycle between devotion and divided heart. Because that has nothing to do with our heart. It doesn't have anything to do with our heart. We in our minds think, if I do this, then I will be. And it has nothing to do with tearing our heart or giving our heart. Our heart is divided. You know, sometimes, as I gave the illustration about Brittany and myself, sometimes I think that we do these things to make it right, or listen to this, or to make sure that we're still in. Let that, let that sit with you for just a second. Sometimes we do these things, which we should do out of a heart for God, but we do them to make sure we're still in with you, right? That is no way to live. Such a roller coaster that oftentimes goes down. Maybe we're thinking, I just don't want the consequences of my actions to be too bad, so I'll balance it out with tearing out my clothes. I'll balance it out with, with going to church, even though Saturday night looks completely different. And y'all, I'm just telling you the truth. I know what it's like to go, go out on Saturday night to come in on Sunday morning trying to scrub the X off my hand at the bar they stamped on it. Some of y'all laughing because you know. And some of y'all right now are like covering your hand with your sleeve. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Seriously. I realize now that I said that my parents are over there. I was probably washing my hand before I went to the house, you know. But what I'm telling you is I remember that's just an example of being in one place and when you walk in another, you're trying to cover it up. Surely that's not right. So, so the, the Lord is, is trying to, to sway our hearts away from a divided heart and for us to tear our hearts and to give it to God. God says, return to me. Give me your heart. The heart that is bent towards self is seeking preservation. But the heart that is bent towards God is seeking devotion. So come to the Lord with fasting, weeping, and mourning, the Bible says. So give him your heart. Give him the part of you that wants, the part of you that desires. Let me tell you, as we were talking about this today with the Sunday school class, with the group, I was sharing when God saved me at 11 years old. Again, I was 11, so I didn't understand all kinds of things. But here's what I knew. I knew I was a sinner. I knew I needed God. God had made provision for me through the blood of Jesus. I got on my knees. I called the best way I knew how upon the name of the Lord Jesus to be saved. And then when I got up from my knees and the next days after, here's what I knew. Something had happened. In my heart. Something had happened. I was no longer thinking about the question of what do I want to be when I grow up because now that's subject to what God would say. You see, I, I, things begin to change on the inside of where I, of the part of me that wants, the part of me that has desires. And that's what God does when you have a real desire to turn from yourself and to turn from sin and you call on God through Jesus to save you and then the Holy Spirit of God comes in and begins to work in this heart towards a full commitment to the Lord. But as long as you keep a seesaw thing going with church, and as long as you keep a seesaw thing going with some of the things that are Christian, and you, you, you know you live in a Christian culture, so you can name off and rattle off a few things just to be dangerous. But as long as we keep doing that, God will allow us to continue to experience conviction and consequence. So the Bible says, let your heart break. 
Come to the Lord with fasting and weeping and mourning. This is an approach, a real approach toward this return. Who in here is really looking forward to fasting and weeping and mourning? And nobody wants to do that. But what we do is we understand it if we have a deep desire for God, and we also understand it if we don't, but we want one. Fasting and weeping and mourning makes sense because, God, whatever, whatever it is, I just want to be yours and closer to you. And when they and we desire to give God our heart and tear our heart, God still wants to bless us. Y'all, here's the good news. I'm telling you, this is the last page I got. This is it. Verse 19 says in chapter 2, The Lord will reply, Look, I am sending you grain and new wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. That which you lost in consequences, God will make new in provision. Enough to satisfy not your wants, because your wants now have changed, but to satisfy all that you need. And then verse 25 says, The Lord says, I will give you back what you lost. Some of us still are at this place where we are thinking that if we go the way of God, we're going to have to give up fill in the blank. And that fill in the blank is usually what is our fulfillment or what we think it is. But even if it is, and God says, it's me, then it's him. And when we will turn from us and tear our heart and give it to the Lord, he will give us back what we've lost. Meaning the thing that you thought would fulfill you, you've turned from it and let God have it. And he has blessed you and given you back what you thought you'd never get. And it's even better to some of the things that he replaces. I can speak to that in my life as well. There were times in my life, y'all, we get to speak to the students this Wednesday night. I'm excited about that because Brittany and I get to talk about when we were in college, what we were desperately holding on to for what we wanted ourselves. And when God finally broke us of that, we finally realized that he is enough. He is what we need. And then he began to provide for us in ways where he gave us more than we ever thought we could have trying to hold on to what we didn't need. The Lord is willing to bless even after repentance. And y'all, just to close it down, the real day of the Lord is coming. Verse 31, the sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before the great and terrible days of the Lord arise. You see, it's great for those who have turned from sin and turned to God. It's terrible for those who would reject. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand to our feet. I want you to know that everybody here is the same. We all stand in the need of grace. We all stand in a way of sin until we turn from our sin and turn to the Lord. The blood of Jesus is still available for you to cover your sins. We would love to have you keep learning. We would love to have you start to serve and take next steps here at our church. If you want to join the church today, we've had numerous people join the church in the last two weeks. Just come real simple and say, I I want to join the church or I need to be saved. Or I'm ready to get baptized. That's all you got to do. Just say simple sentences to us. We'll take it from there. You may think I'm not going to walk the aisle. You can catch us after. That's fine. But don't wait. Take a step towards obedience. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for your warning. We thank you so much, Lord, for your grace. We thank you so much for your mercy. Lord, I thank you for the open door to repent today. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to return today. God, I'm so grateful for your patience. 
And Lord, I know, I know that there are people here now that need to draw a line in the sand. Lord, they need to return to you. So Lord, I pray that our altar is filled. Lord, with just all of us who need to come back. But Lord, if there's one or many that have not yet decided in their heart that they're done with themselves, I pray today would be that day of their salvation. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The altar's over for you. Let's worship together.